0: Praise God. What a a wonderful day when we come together that we could celebrate Christ Jesus. And this morning we're going to be looking at our passage in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You know, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are just a group of people learning to follow Jesus together. That's our desire to see God use us and to grow us in his son and to grow in in our faith in Christ and to be more and more like him each and every day. And so we're glad to You are here today to join with us as we worship and praise his name this morning. If you will, this morning, as we gather, as we get started, let's just go to the Lord. I know we just pray, but sometimes I just need to pray before I preach. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. You've heard my prayers, God. You've heard the prayers of our elders and of our staff. and Father, we just ask today that you would just um, you would just speak to us, your people. Now, Father, we're excited because we saw these young men come by, by faith uh, and are baptized. But Father, we are just praising your name because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Today we stand in his righteousness, we praise your holy name, and we rejoice in the resurrection of your son. Father, it's why we have confidence is because of his resurrection. Our, our Lord is not dead. He is alive. And we give you the glory and the praise. Father, as always, I just pray, God, you go past all of my own shortcomings and my own iniquities, my own sins, God, and that you would speak to us, your people, that we would not walk in darkness, but we would walk in the light of the truth of your word, that we might grow in Christ and be more like him. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we had the theme when a king uh, leaves his throne. And been thinking about that for a while now. Not too long ago, I began to kind of search as to why does a king leave a throne? When does a king ever leave his throne? And one of the things I discovered is a king will sometimes will leave his throne when he goes out to battle. He'll lead his, his army, his forces into battle to conquer new territories or to defend his homeland. The other reason I found that why kings leave the throne is usually death. Um, And a lot of times it's assassination, and it's assassination from his own family. So I guess, you know, uh, family reunions weren't real popular back in those days, at least not without his guard and his kings. But when we look at Jesus and we see him as king, and we see him leaving the throne, we're seeing him come to demonstrate, to express, and to proclaim the unsurpassed love of our God. That God in his son demonstrates to us his love. And today in our text, we're going to see the truth of God's love and the truth of God's word as he demonstrates to us, as he teaches us, as he opens up to us the unsurpassed love of God. And if you will, if you have your Bibles there in Romans chapter eight, and if you will look at verse 31, it says, "'What shall we say then to these things?' What shall we say to these things? That word there, these things. What is he talking about? We can look at the immediate context, like the couple of verses before, but I really believe that these things he's referring to really goes all the way back to chapter 1, all the way through to this section. You have in those chapters, you have the marvelous grace of our God, the gospel of Jesus Christ that is being proclaimed. Back in chapter one, Paul is like saying, hey, I'm so ready to come and to preach the gospel to you at Rome. He is ready to feel the intensity of that passage where he's just saying, I am ready, I'm ready to come. I'm ready to preach the gospel. Why, Paul? Because it's the power of God unto salvation that in the gospel God is bringing people to himself. He's reconciling a people to himself. It is the power of God unto salvation. At the same time, Paul also understood in those, in those passages led by the Holy Spirit that in the gospel, when Paul was preaching the gospel, it also revealed the righteousness of our God. And it was revealed from faith to faith that the picture was that we would understand God's righteousness as he proclaims the gospel That the righteousness of God would be made known. But when the righteousness of God is made known, it also reveals his attitude towards unrighteousness. And that's when we kind of enter into the picture. We live in a world where unrighteousness is really popular. It's normal. And we see it all the time. And when we hear of righteousness, we don't always understand the holiness or the standard of who God is and his righteousness and his holiness. And we understand that we are unrighteousness. And in the process of explaining the gospel, the unrighteousness of humanity is revealed. In fact, Paul, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he writes about those who just totally reject God. He writes about those who think, well, somehow I'm a good person. And some way I'm just going to be really good and I'll make it there. And he writes about the Jew who, who was given the law, who thinks because of their heritage, because of they received the law, that they would automatically be saved. And Paul comes to that famous verse, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it matters not whether and you're rejecting, or you think you're going to be good enough, or you think because of your heritage that somehow you're going to be saved. All of those bring us under one, one to one place. And Paul concludes, he says, therefore, we are not justified by the works of the law, but by faith. And you ask, well, well, what is faith? And Paul walks right into chapter 4, and he gives a beautiful description of Abraham and his faith, where, where God showed him the stars of the heavens, and he said, your seed will be like this. Well, Abraham was old. He had no children. His wife was old, past bearing age. How are they going to have children? And yet, Abraham saw that, and did not consider his age, but became fully convinced, believing that God would do exactly what he said he would do. It's the definition that I use of faith often when we talk about, do you believe in Jesus? I want to know, are you fully convinced that God will do exactly what he said he would do in the person of Jesus Christ for you? And so Paul describes that, and in verse verse one of chapter five, he says, therefore we conclude, or therefore we understand, therefore we know that we've been justified by faith. That God demonstrated his love towards us, and that while we were still in our unrighteousness and our iniquities, Christ died for us. And it's a beautiful section whereby God goes on and describes how he's setting apart his people in this day and this time. And he comes to this passage where we're at And he says in light of these things, he says, what then shall we say to these things? What shall we say when we talk about our faith in Jesus Christ? That if if we receive Christ in our life, that we understand the security that we have in Jesus. That if God has truly begun a work in our lives, he will complete it. All of those things he has been talking through in those first eight chapters. This is our hope especially today of all days when we would remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God will complete his work 100%. He will not, he will not, he will not falter in that. There is no way that ever the reality of who we are as God's people in Christ Jesus will be diminished. So when he says, what shall we say to these things? That's a great question. What is the answer? It's right there in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? What a powerful statement. It speaks of the, the security of God's love. You know, as you think about it, God doesn't give empty promises. All of those things he talked about in the previous eight chapters, those weren't empty words. Those weren't mystical words. Those were words of reality and of truth that God has promised that the security that if God is for us, who can be against us? The work of God done in Christ Jesus is proof of the accomplishment of that fact in our lives. If God be for us, have you received Christ into your life? Then God is on your side. If you know Christ, you've been adopted as a child of God and you're part of the family of God and he sees you as his own. And that is a very, very, very safe place to be. There's a critical word there in that verse 31, if you see it. It's critical words right there. It says, if. If God is for us. Some would translate that as since, in light of the fact of everything that God has said. The Apostle Paul is written by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Everything he has said for the believer is true and the reality of it. Therefore, since that is true, then God would be for us. But I like the idea of the word if. It's often used as if, not as sense. If God is for us. And so in one breath, there's a requirement. In the second breath, there is a guarantee and the requirement the requirement is the fact that we have to be reconciled with God there has to be a reconciliation taken place that if i can be only, if i'm going to be with God my sins have to be forgiven there has to be reconciliation through his son it's not by works it's not by any other means but simply by faith in Christ And the guarantee is that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Is God for you? That's a question to ask yourself today. Have you by faith trusted Christ and received Christ into your life? Is he reconciled you to himself through his son? If that's true, then God is for you. None will stand against you. I was funny when I was a kid. I loved playing athletics and, you know, on the out in the yard or whatever, we'd start playing a game. And so you got a bunch of kids, how do you determine teams, right? So, hey, you be a captain, you be be a captain, you begin picking. So if you're not very athletic, that was not always a very fun moment in your life, right? Because you're just hoping you get picked and you're not the last one to be picked. But I can remember getting picked sometimes and one of the captains would be really, really, really good at sports. And so I remember going, man, I want to be on their team. I want to be on their team. Because I knew, you know, if I was on their team, we're going to win, you know. And so when, they're, so when they would pick me, I'd be, oh, we're going to beat you, you know. I was always a competitor. So we're going to beat you, yeah. You know, so, you know, like, how, 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 how can we win? How can we lose it was really the question. So I started thinking about it, and I was thinking about, like, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I was thinking, man, what about some of the biggest defeats in all of history? So I began searching, right? And so I came across this in 1926, Georgia Tech competing against Cumberland, and I don't remember where the Cumberland was, These old schools in 1926. And the final score was 222 to nothing, it was a football game. <laughs> 222 to nothing, that was before they had mercy rules like we have today, right? And I was like, my gosh! So I started looking at it, and you know, some of the statistics were quite interesting. That Georgia Tech won, and they they never threw a pass, but they ran 1,600. I think it was 32 yards. Think about that. I mean, like 100 yards for a running back is incredible. Can you imagine what that running back, Cumberland? They didn't throw a pass either, and they they ran for a total of minus 96 yards. Minus 96. Can you believe that? That was an offsided defeat. You know, so for me, when I put things in athletic terms, sometimes I look at that and I go, wow, that's incredible. Well, the picture is here, is if God is for us, who can be against us? And the question becomes, is God for me? Have I received Christ? See, it's not only the security of God's love, but it's the generosity of God's love in verse 32. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, and I underlined with him, graciously give us all things? The picture here is that if God has given over his own son to die for us, how would he not give us the smaller things? And the picture for us is that as we as believers, that if God had given over his son, how would he not give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? Second Peter 2 Peter 2.1. How would God not give us all of those things? Yes, if God did not spare his own son, he would give us all of those things. I don't know this morning when you walk through the door what your concept of God is. Maybe you've been influenced by the world and its thinking and the way it views God. Maybe you've read books and it describes God in different ways. I'm not sure what your concept is, but when I look at the truth of God's word and I read this, I, ston- I see a God who is not stingy with his love. I see a God who is not uncaring about his love towards us. I do not see a God who is distant about his love, but sending his son, Jesus Christ. I see a wondrous God, infinitely generous towards us and loving in all of his ways towards us. It's his love, the love of God, is the reason we celebrate this day. His love is the reason we celebrate the resurrection. Octavius Winslow, an old time theologian, he asked this question, he said, who delivered up Jesus to die? Think about that. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, Not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. Because of the love of the Father, he sent his son. The reason that we celebrate the resurrection today is because of God's love for you and for me. God did not spare his son. The unsurpassed love of God demonstrated in his son, Jesus Christ. He did not spare him. Amazing grace. And grace is is getting something we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. It's that which God gave to us. You don't earn it. It's amazing love of God, the amazing grace of God. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have eternal life, have everlasting life. I do not know of a greater act of love and generosity in all of humanity. In the history of humanity, if you take all the stories of humanity and you were to read through them, I do not know of a greater act of love and generosity than the fact that God gave up his son. In verse 32, that phrase, those words, gave him up for us all. Those have often stuck out to me over the years and I read those words and it's amazing to me that God would give up his son. Some of you might ask, and I remember working in the restaurant business and often having discussions with people about God. Sometimes people would say, well, I don't get it. You know, God up there sends his son to die in order to please him. That doesn't make, doesn't make sense. Why, why, I mean, why doesn't God just forgive everybody and everything would be okay. I mean, wouldn't it be, wouldn't that just be great? A lot of times it's because we don't understand sin and iniquity. And the best way I know how to describe it is I remember when I was 17 years old, my parents had had a jewelry business. We were about the third year in that jewelry business. It was the second Saturday of, a, of, a, of a December. Two men walked into that, re, that store that day. They were both armed. And they held up my parents and handcuffed my mom and my dad, blindfolded both of them. Then I walk in on the middle of that. A shot is fired. Then they take me in, they tie me up. And that day, those two men walked out with over $100,000 worth of jewels and jewelry. And walked out that day, devastated my family, just devastated. My parents lost their jewelry business. Can you imagine my mom, handcuffed and blindfolded, hearing me walk in and then hearing a shot go off there for a minute or two, not knowing what happened? She had a nervous breakdown, was in the mental hospital several times. Over the next couple of years, five different times, I moved my mom out because my mom and dad, their relationship got really bad. And I remember moving her out. It was devastating. Even as I stand here and think about those days, it's still heavy. And if after that event, a couple weeks later, the guys came to my door that robbed us, and they knocked and I opened the door, and they, hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, come on in. Let's have dinner. No, just as God in his righteousness responds to unrighteousness, I I would respond. There there would have to be reconciliation. There would have to be recompense. There would have to be be restoration. If there's going to be fellowship with them again, there would have to be something that would take place. There would have to be forgiveness in some way of restoration and reconciliation. And the picture is, is what happened is in humanity, sinned against God. And it isn't just God wiping the books, but it's God restoring people back to himself. We were created in righteousness, and we were created for a right relationship with him. And that has been broken, and there needs to be reconciliation, and there needs to be recompense, recompense and there needs to be restoration. And that comes by God sending His Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, our sacrifice, who bore on Himself the judgment and the consequences of iniquity and of sin. He took our place and He redeemed us from sin and death. Every person in this room is going to succumb to death. And Jesus gives life. And He redeemed us He redeemed us from sin and death and he reconciled us with God that we might have fellowship with him, that we might walk with him, that we might know him. And that's why Jesus had to come. That's why God gave him up. It wasn't God sitting up there coming up with some idea how to make himself happy. It wasn't God setting aside his holiness and his righteousness and bringing him to our level of unrighteousness. No, it was God restoring us to his righteousness in Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel. No wonder Paul said to these Romans, I am so ready to come preach the gospel to you because in it is the power of God unto salvation. To God be the glory, to him be the praise. Amazing generosity of the love of God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say it a couple of times. Look, I have nothing. I have nothing this morning but Jesus. And I've been praying all week. I've been praying the Spirit would move among these people this morning. And maybe God brought you here this morning just to hear these words and to be challenged by them to know whether or not you know Christ. You see, the forgiveness of, of God's love is amazing. Look at it in verse 33. And 34, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Some of you may have came in this morning, and maybe you came in under accusation. Maybe you came in under condemnation. Maybe it's from somebody else. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's it's from your own self. And you walk in and you feel the condemnation. You feel the, the, the accusation in your life. Listen to the truth of God's word here today. Listen to what God is saying to us right here. You see, the picture is that the charges are being made or someone's making charges, but who can charge Accuse against the redeemed and forgiven people of God. That's what he's saying right here. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who, who justifies. What <clears throat> accusation can stand against those who have been eternally forgiven? You see, when it says right there, It is God who justifies. How is that possible? It is possible because God declares us righteous in Christ. You see, in chapter 4 of Romans, Abraham believed God and it was imputed, declared righteous and the righteousness of God. And no one could bring accusation. That's why as believers, we should never hold accusations against one another. That's why we shouldn't hold odds against one another because in the courtroom of eternal judge, there is no one that can bring an accusation to those who have been forgiven. No one can overturn it. It's that picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made in the righteousness of God. We call it the great exchange, that he who did not deserve death, he who did not deserve judgment, he took upon himself... He was made into sin, our sin, took our sin, in order that we might be made into the righteousness of Christ. We took, got that which we did not deserve. And now that's why Apostle Paul, under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit, verse one of chapter eight says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That should get you excited if you know Jesus today. There's another phrase there where he says in in verse 34 Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. You see the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the truth of God's work in his son Jesus Christ. It guarantees the truth of the gospel. All these things of Paul by the guidance of the Holy Spirit has been teaching through these first few chapters because Jesus is raised from the dead, because he was resurrected, it guarantees the truth of those things. Our God didn't give empty promises. God didn't give us empty words. He gave us truth and the truth is in the person of Jesus Christ and that because Jesus rose from the dead, became the first fruits of those who would believe, we can be certain of that reality of who we are in Christ, the unsurpassed love of God. Though we go through times where we reject him, he calls us and he might be calling you this morning. Maybe you've been going through a time where you've just been rejecting God and pushing him aside. And yet today, I will tell you, his spirit is calling you. Calling you to respond. Calling you to believe. I love the phrase there in the last part of the verse where he says, who's at the right hand of God because the work is finished. It shows the certainty of our salvation that it is secure in Jesus Christ. Who will condemn? If you by faith have received Christ in your life and you stand before the eternal God of all eternity and he were to ask, who will condemn this one? There will be complete silence, absolute silence to those who are in Christ because whom God has declared righteous, there is no accusation that comes. Who will condemn? It was Jesus who died, but better yet, who rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people. That's our faith. That's only possible through Jesus Christ. No one can bring condemnation to the righteousness that we have in Christ. That unsurpassed love of God, so beautiful, so powerful. Do you know the love of God found in Christ Jesus Do you know Christ? You see, it's not just the fact that the love of God is secure and generous and forgiving, but it's also inseparable to those who know Christ. Look, if you will, in verse 35. In verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Hey, life is difficult. There's stresses in life. Some of you came in this morning with tons of difficulties in life and stress in life. And life can be really tough, but the reality is it will never separate you from the love of God, never. We had a missionary that came a couple months ago during our missions month, probably the most worn I had seen him. You could tell there was a heaviness. He shared about the persecution in the country in which he serves, the persecution on him and on the believers there for their faith, where Christians and pastors are regularly beaten, dragged off to prison. And because of their faith, they continue to be faithful. And you know what? None of that will separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Why? It says more than conquerors In fact, the word there, more than conquerors, the idea is to conquer completely. That through Christ, when we receive Christ in our lives, we are more than conquerors, that we conquer completely. That it is guaranteed in the person of Jesus Christ. I stand here as a conqueror, not because of what I have accomplished, but because of what Jesus has accomplished. Because of what Jesus has done. And I receive him in my life, and I stand in his righteousness. Paul goes on in the leading of the Holy Spirit in verse 38. He says, for I am sure. Now, I underline that in my passage. For I am sure. It's emphatic. He is saying, I am confident. I am sure. I guess the question I want to ask you as we read this, are you sure? Do you know Christ? Are you sure? He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, not rulers either. The powers that we struggle against, the spiritual powers that we deal with, nor things present, nor things to come, the things that are happening or the things that are about to happen. He goes on and he says, nor height, nor debt, and let's just take care of it all, nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is saying, I am sure of this, that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Are you trusting in Christ? Some of you came in today and for different reasons, but do you know the unsurpassed love of God? You see, it's only possible through Jesus Christ. The last five words of verse 39 Those last five words are the answer to all of life. Hear me when I say this, to all of life. Look what it says, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in Christ. The only way to experience the unsurpassed love of God is in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ this is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus experienced death on a cross. That he experienced death and he was buried and rose again because in him is our love. It doesn't say there, it doesn't say separate from us, from the love of God because we attend church all the time. It doesn't say not separated because we give a lot of money or because we're super kind. We do a lot of good works. We feed the poor. We visit the sick. It doesn't say that. It says, in Christ. In Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, you can come up here today and I'm telling you, you can find people who are a lot smarter than I am. You can find people whose words are, can be better than mine. You can find people that are more accomplished, maybe more athletic, maybe better business people. You can find others who are more gifted. But all I come with you today, all I come to you with is Jesus Christ. Amen. I have nothing else. I am, I, am, I am talking to you today and I'm sharing with you the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. That God sent his son to be our sacrifice and his son in our place dealt with the judgment of our iniquities. And he redeemed us from sin and death. And he reconciled us to God. And the love of God, the unsurpassed love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only possible, possible through Christ. That's all it is. It's through him, faith in Christ. If you want to know and experience the unsurpassed love of God, it's in Christ Jesus That's all I have. That's all I am in Christ. That's all I have here today. I want to know the grace of God. It's in Christ. I want to know the love of God. It's in Christ. I want to know the surpassing power of God. It's in Christ. That's all we have. And you simply receive it by faith. Now I've been praying all week, especially for this day, and I've been praying for you. Some of you, I don't know, but I prayed for the ones that God would bring today. And my heart was that I challenge you that you do not leave today without asking you that question. Do you know Christ? Have you received him in your life? I don't know what brought you in today. I don't know all the circumstances, but the question I ask is, have you received Christ into your life? Are you trusting him in faith? You see, the first hour, we had two guys that were baptized. These guys are on fire for Jesus. It's unreal. These young men that were baptized today, there's some neat things that God is really doing in their lives. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in their lives. But the real question is, what is God doing in your life? Have you received Christ into your life? See, the praise team's going to come. And we're going to have people up here like we do That'll, that'll pray with you. If you wanna come and have pray with someone, you can come after the service too. They'll be here. Maybe you came this morning and the Spirit of God's been touching your heart and you wanna know about Christ. You've never made that decision. You wanna know more. These folks can talk to you about that. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father God, just speak to us, your people. Father, let us not walk in darkness. Let us not walk in the confusion of this world, but let us understand the realities of who we are in Jesus Christ. Let us not rest, Father, in our own abilities, our own works, but Father, let us rest in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that we would be fully convinced, fully convinced that you will do all that you said you would do and you would complete our salvation in who we are by faith, in Jesus' name, amen.